0: Face. Um, having the power of the Son of God in your hand. Imagine that uh, you had the very power of the Son of God in your hand. Um, and Alan, I think I need to be a little bit louder in here. You know, we test, uh, there you go. Perfect. Uh, actually, that's a little too loud, I think. Test. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, there we go. I'm supposed to be going, test, test, test. The power of the Son of God in your hand. Well, what is the power of the Son of God, and how do you get it? I mean, obviously, not everybody actually has it. it is it available? But actually, Paul described it as something that um, all of us are familiar with, which is a sword. Uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is, anybody? The Word of God. Very good. The sword of the Spirit, much like one of my favorite uh, tales, uh, stories, is King Arthur, uh, is, is kind of locked away for a lot of believers because of two things. Those first, the first thing all believers have is the Holy Spirit. Uh, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Every believer does. uh, We are baptized by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus, as we'll see today again, comes out of the water, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, But the other problem is humility. Uh, We don't make the rules. We cannot do things our own way. We have to do them the way that the Lord desires us to do. Because it's his sword, after all. It's not ours. And so we have to... Put our pride aside. We have to put aside our wanting things to be our own way and to do things his way. And then when we do that, we will have this sword available. And imagine when your enemy, whoever that enemy is, and we're going to see it's temptation today, it's what really it is. Whether it comes from Satan or your flesh or the world or somebody else. The source of it doesn't matter near as much as how you respond to it. And if you have the sword, if you have the very sword of Jesus Christ in your hand, how do you think you're going to do? You're going to do really well. And so uh, wielding this sword against our enemy, that is what is offered to you. And Jesus is going to use it today. He's going to walk on the stage of human history and take out the sword of the Spirit And use it against God's greatest enemy. And it's amazing. Let's open up in prayer. Be grateful and thankful for God's word and what we're going to learn today and what God has provided for us. With humility, again, you can't really even learn the word of God without humility. So with humility and reverence to our Lord, let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for all things. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the Messiah, the King, the Savior of the world. We thank you so much for him and what he has done and how he has revealed to us this life. We thank you for your love that has given us this life because you have given us your son and through him and him alone are we saved and delivered and through your word Can we walk in a life that is holy and heavenly, even though we are in a world that knows nothing of it? To be poor yet powerful, how wonderful, Father, that you have blessed us with such a life. May we tap into it in your way and not our own, so that your spirit may guide us and open our eyes to the truths that we find. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. All rise, please. I don't know what's going on. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus of Nazareth is confirmed and affirmed as Messiah and King, King of the Kingdom of Heaven. In the opening section of Matthew's Gospel, which is chapters 1 through 4. Matthew is establishing the fact of who he is, what he is, and he's confirming it. From his genealogy, born of Abraham, born of David, to his virgin birth. Prophesied by Isaiah, to his birth in Bethlehem, prophesied by Micah. To his flight to Egypt, prophesied uh, through uh, Hosea. To the murder of the innocents, which is connected to the Babylonian captivity. And to his origin in Nazareth, which we don't know where that comes from, but Matthew says it is fulfilled. That Jesus would come from, the Son of God would come from a nowhere place where nowhere people are. And then his baptism by John, in which he is confirmed by John. Well, really, Jesus confirms John, but says that this must be done as water baptism, the ceremony to fulfill all righteousness. And so Matthew confirms as the him as the promised king and Messiah. After he comes out of the water, the voice, the heavens open, the voice is heard. This is obviously the Father who says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This points us to the servant who suffers in Isaiah. Now, this servant who suffers in Isaiah 42 is the exact words that were said from heaven. And Israel had a very hard time connecting their Messiah King with the one who suffered. In fact, the disciples, same issue. When Christ told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be brutally treated and die, Peter was the one who said, I forbid it. Messiahs don't do that. But the voice from heaven was the suffering servant about, or confirming, we should say, the suffering servant of Isaiah. When the heavens open after he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven and comes upon him. That's the wording, comes upon him. And that, to us, looks very much like an anointing. This was Jesus already filled with the Spirit before that event happened. We all assume that that's true. But this is something special that is publicly shown to everybody there, that he is anointed. So he's anointed, that's like a coronation of a king. Now, this is an oil or some other ceremony, ritual, but it's actual God from heaven lighting upon him or anointing him, the king. Behold, the king. We've been waiting for thousands and thousands of years, and here he is. Well, something happens that none of us would have expected, but that kind of is par for the course for Christ, correct? what he does and what happened to him is nothing that anybody would have expected. But immediately after he's anointed and coronated as king, he is led by this very spirit to go somewhere that is harsh and suffer. Suffer terribly, actually. So, most kings after their coronation, what happens? You see, if you, did you what was the last queen? Or no, it was George, right? King George in England. They have the big ceremony in Westminster. Uh, nobody takes it all that seriously anymore. But I know the English really love it. And, uh, and you know what happens? Do they send George out into the wilderness to be tried? No. There's a big party. There's no party here. The Spirit leads Jesus somewhere. And this place that he leads them is the wilderness. What I, I like this also to teach us, because this is where you're going to uh, find your ability as a believer to have real skill and not just be robotic with your Christianity, I like my robot dance there, is to be led. By the Spirit. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, I, you know, do you feel led to places? Maybe you have felt led here today. Maybe it's just habit that you come. I don't know. But is it just because he's Messiah? Or is it more so because he's sensitive? He's sensitive to the Spirit of God. Are we? The Spirit indwells us. Jesus promised that He'll lead you into all truth. And so, what does God want me to do and say? And what works? What's my gift? What's my service in the church? What, what, what? You know, what do I do today? But do I seek it? Do you? Do you seek it? Do you pray? God, show me your will today. It's actually in the Lord's Prayer, is it not? Your will be done. What is his will for me today? Do I seek it? Because if you do, there's a promise here, just like with the Lord, that you're going to be led. Notice Ezekiel 36. This is about the new covenant. God says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. That happened to you, didn't it? If you're a believer, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. The heart of stone is the one that doesn't respond, right? It's rock hard. And give you a heart of flesh. Flesh, malleable, responsive. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. See that? Now when you initially read that, it just sounds like, well, he's just gonna force me like a robot, like a marionette. But that's obviously not true. That's nobody's experience. In some denominations they try to make that their experience and they flip flop on the ground like a fish out of water. But that is not it. (laughs) Whatever you want to describe it as, it's not it. You see, when I'm led by the Spirit because I desire His will, I obey His will, that is my life, His word is my life, and He is my life, I'm going to actually desire His will more than anything. So I'm going to find myself on my knees in prayer seeking it, in the word of God seeking it. And what I'm going to find out is that I'm led. And uh, we don't have to know how he does it. He just does it. It's up to us to be sensitive to it. Jesus is so sensitive to the working of the Spirit that he knows where the Spirit wants him to go. He does, he's not forced here, but he goes into the wilderness. How long is he in the wilderness? Forty days and forty nights. <clears throat> this is significant. First off, Moses was on Mount Sinai 40 days and 40 nights to receive the law. Elijah, who runs away from all depressed and angry at the fact that Israel didn't repent, runs to the same place in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The same place, to Mount Oreb or Mount Sinai. Christ is here for 40 days and 40 nights. <clears throat> However, more particularly... and we know this by what Christ says when he's in the wilderness, is the reference to the Exodus. The Exodus is in the wilderness, same place, for how long? Forty years. And they fail miserably, don't they? We have fun with them. They're mentioned a lot. Even in the New Testament, Paul mentions them in 1 Corinthians 10, saying, don't do that. They are awful And where they fail, Christ succeeds. So where Jesus is born of the virgin, Jesus is the king from Bethlehem, Micah. Jesus comes out of Egypt like they did. Hosea 11, quoted by Matthew. Jesus is the one who escapes the slaughter of the innocent, so he escapes captivity, so to speak. Jeremiah 31. And Jesus therefore fulfills for Israel all that Israel couldn't. And we say, you know, shame on Israel. Well, shame on us. Because we're no different. Sinners saved. He's the one who did it right. And none of us have done it right. And hence, when he becomes our substitute, the one who did it right, does it right for us. And we reap the benefit. It's marvelous. Now when Jesus is led, he's not led to Jerusalem. He's not led to Rome. I mean, why doesn't he just, why don't they just send him to Rome and do a bunch of miracles and say, hey, I'm king of the earth, I'm king of the kingdom of heaven, I'm king of the Jews, bow before me. Couldn't he do it? Of course he could. He has all the power. But instead, he's led into the wilderness. All right, how about you? What has this got to do with you? Are you going to be led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted one-on-one by the devil? I think the numerical odds of that are zero. It's not going to happen to you. In fact, I I, uh, question whether any believer in the church age has faced Satan one-on-one. Even the great apostle Paul was sent a messenger of Satan. But be that as it may, even if you were facing him, you wouldn't know it. You're not going to see him, you're not going to hear him, not like Christ does here. But we know, why does Christ have to go in the wilderness? Because Israel went into the wilderness. Christ has to do it all right where they did it all wrong. So it's not for you and me to go to the wilderness we say also, well, you know, whatever wilderness I'm going to find myself in, the Son of God here, right? It's, this is the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the King, the sinless one, the Son of God. He's born without sin. Well, What is he, he going to do to Satan? I mean, would we rather the story be Satan showed up and say, turn these stones into bread and Jesus just punched his lights out? Or knocked his head off, or turned him into a f- sand flea, or something. But he doesn't. The power of the Son of God is what. That, this is the Son of God. He has the power of. He created the whole universe, right? He has the power of lightning in his hand. If he want, he, like he said to Peter, if I want to call down twelve legions, seventy thousand angels. That is. If I want to call down 70,000 angels right now, I'll do it. I can do much. But herein lies the power of mankind. The Scripture. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. <clears throat> so I should have brought out one of my big commentaries. I've got some massive commentaries in my office. Are they the Word of God? No. They are commentaries or opinions on the Word of God. And I am going to emphasize this in this series. We'll be looking at this all week. The Word of God is here. It's not what I say about it. It's not what anybody says about it. It's here. Do you know this? Because that's exact- Jesus is not going to give his opinion about the Word of God. He's going to quote it word for word. Isn't that amazing? Well, he wrote it. (laughs) Why not quote your own book, right? But he's going to quote it word for word. He's going to know it word for word. And I'm going to encourage you to know it word for word. Now, do you have to memorize word for word? Nothing in the Word of God says memorize. But, if, I'm, if I've summarized the passage to the point where it's lost some of its meaning, then that needs to change. You need to get all the meaning back in there, stuff it back in. And how we do that is we learn it. And there is great benefit in memorizing passages. Now, you're not going to memorize the whole thing. But there may be passages that are going to apply to your particular situation, your areas of weakness that you are constantly tempted in. And even new things that come up, because Satan's never going to tire of tempting you, by the way. Once you conquer one thing, he's going to say, okay, let's leave that area aside. We're not going to bother you there anymore, and we're going to find something new to bother you with. And you're going to need new passages for that. Now, uh, one of the people that we said here is in the wilderness is Elijah. What was the story with Elijah when he came into the wilderness? He climbs up Mount, Or-Hor, Mount Sinai, hides himself in a cave. God comes to him and says, Elijah, what in the world are you doing here? <clears throat> and what does God show Elijah? There's a storm. There's a wind. There's a fire, a massive one. These are all, what, miraculous Things that we would imagine the Son of God could do. He could have lit Satan on fire. Could have called in a huge wind and blew him off, the planet, off planet Earth. But what did he do? But what is Elijah here at the end of his experience? This, what do we call it? The King James, everybody calls the King James of this, this still small voice. That's what this is. The words from the mouth of God. They're not shouted. He doesn't walk up to Satan and scream them in his ear. He just states them. Does Satan care about the Word of God? No. Actually, Satan misinterprets the Word of God trying to use it against Jesus. So what is the point? The Word of God is for Jesus Himself. Not so that Satan can lose an argument. Satan doesn't care. See, uh, people often think, that this is given to us so that we can win arguments. No, 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 no. Sometimes you, you should lose an argument if it's to the benefit of the other. That's love. This is given for your heart. So that when you're tempted, you can say from the wisdom here, no. No, I'm not turning from my Lord. I'm not turning from my devotion to him. So we say we're not going to be led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So what gives? What are we going to face? All who live by the Spirit or who are led by the Spirit are going to come into conflict with the world. Every one of us. And when I say led by the Spirit, I mean you're living by the Spirit by me, and you're producing the fruit of the Spirit. In whatever capacity you're doing that. That we're spiritual. That we're living spiritual. That we're not worldly carnal Christians, we're actually Christians who are, who are about it. We are seeking the Lord in his word and seeking his will and seeking to live that will every day, dependent upon the Lord. When we sin and fail, we confess it and we move on. <clears throat> Jesus said to us, because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. And so we're going to come into conflict. So the Spirit doesn't have to actually lead us into a wilderness. We're going to walk right into it. The conflict's going to come to us. And, of course, if we're worldly, we're not going to see any conflict from the world. Right? He said, I chose you out of the world. That means elected, out from. So you're different. And <clears throat> you know, why are you different? Well, this fruit that you produce you have love and peace and joy from the Lord, not from circumstances. You are kind. You are gracious. You uh, are a proponent, a loud, and I don't mean screaming it, but by your lifestyle, you are a witness of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. How does the world like The world doesn't like it. The world, especially nowadays, the world's playing the victim card. It's because of our race. It's because of this or that that we're suffering. No, you're suffering because of your sin. Because you won't follow the Lord. Your race and your economic status mean nothing to him. It's his truth in you that matters. You're playing the victim. It's a lie. If I portray that, I don't even have to say it. I live it. But even if I say it, how's the world take that? Not well. If the world is a prison filled with slaves, all in their cells, and it is, then you, the spirit-led believer, are walking around the prison free. And you're telling everybody that their cell doors are unlocked and that they can walk out. And Satan detests that. In other words, you spread the gospel. That is freedom. So the warden of the prison, who is the devil, will try and shut you up. How's he going to do that? He's got to get you to put a basket over your light. And how did Jesus said, look, the light is in you, right? I am, You are the light of the world. If the light in you is shining forth, it shines forth through your good works. Matthew chapter 5. He said, no one lights a lamp in a house and put a basket over it. What Satan has got to do is get you to put a basket over yourself. And the way he does that is to tempt you, to draw you. But he's not, he, doesn't, he knows that to try and immerse your whole life into sin is going to be a difficult thing. And also you'll be too uh, aware of that. What he wants you to do is fall into a certain area of sin. And that area of sin master you. And it's much more subtle. And I can say, well, I do have this area of sin that masters me, but it's private. No one knows about it. And uh, and then my rest of my life is spiritual. And yet what we don't know is that that area of sin that we have allowed to master us is going to infect its host like a parasite. And it's going to grow like leaven. And we're going to be ineffective in our spiritual lives. So here's a question. Do you find that there's something in your life that is inconsequential to your spiritual life, something completely inconsequential to your spiritual life, that if it were threatened to be taken from you, that you would fight almost violently to keep it? What if something God said, this has got to go now? Or there's something in your life that is inconsequential to your spiritual life. But if it were lost to you, you would fight tooth and thin nail to keep it. That, my friends, is your idol. And it's a little idol that you're hiding in your closet. And God wants you free from it. So the Lord shows us the way. Look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11. The idea of this whole passage, and there's so much here. We're going we're gonna to overview some things today and leave more of the details. Or actually, we're going to look at each individual testing or temptation throughout the week. Uh, but today we're going to look at the fact that I've got to apply the Word of God and I mean the word of God, not an idea of what I think it says or what I think pastor him said, or but here, knowing the scripture myself, that that is the way that I'm going to successfully overcome the temptation to sin. So let's read the passage. Look at verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came. By the way, Moses did not eat 40 days and 40 nights either when he was on Sinai. So. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And now Satan's going to quote a passage. He's going to take it completely out of context and misapply it. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Word for word from the Septuagint from Psalm 91. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We'll get get to that. We're going to look at Psalm 91 and say, how how would you interpret Psalm 91? Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And this has to be the most asinine thing stated in the history of creation. If you worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan. This, in Greek, it's hupage satana. Hupage satana. Doesn't that sound better? I think so. Go, Satan, for it is written. Uh, Hupage is a command. It means get lost or depart. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. There's so much here. Uh, We're not going to try and squeeze it in all your head at once. but this is wonderful. The fact that this there's nobody here to witness this, Correct. It's not that Matthew was over on the sideline sitting on a little rock next to Sinai, writing this all down. He tells them this. Jesus shared this with his disciples. And God the Holy Spirit was made, made sure that Matthew and Luke would record it. And this is recorded for us. The first thing that happens to him after he is anointed by the Spirit is to be led here and to face the number one enemy of God. And Jesus defeats him by quoting scripture All three passages that he quotes from Deuteronomy Now that's significant as Deuteronomy is stated given to Israel at the end of the 40 years they're about most of that first generation are dead in the wilderness and Israel's about to cross the Jordan to go into the promised land and this Deuteronomy Is Moses' last message. It's a big one. uh, It's Moses' last. It summarizes the law. He summarizes the history. He repeats the history of Israel to them. And then he he gives them a a farewell. He gives them actually a farewell poem in chapter 32 that is just astounding. Um, And so at the end of the 40 years, Jesus is quoting right from it. And so today we want to look at the Exodus. If the Exodus had used the word of God precisely as Jesus had done in faith, they would have been in the promised land in less than a year. They failed. And we must not. We must not. You know, their promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, that is what our life is to be. And it does not depend on circumstances or people or even really anything other than your faith in God's Word and having the Word of God ready for when the temptations come. Because there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And the right way is right here in this Word. Inspired by God, sufficient, every word inspired. The Exodus should have done precisely what the Lord had done. They were tested by hunger. It says we saw our Lord hungry after 40 days. They're promised a kingdom. Satan promises Jesus a kingdom. Satan promises us a kingdom. And it's not the one we want. He says you can get there, this, this kingdom I give you, you can get there easier, and it'll be immediate. And it's lie after lie after lie after lie. Yet it is enticing. And Israel's told to wait and obey. <laughs> do we find Jesus waiting? Do you, remember, you know when you get to the second temptation, do you forget that he's hungry? I, I find that after I went through it this time. I'm like, you know how easy it is when you get to this. All right, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down. We kind of forget that he, he still hasn't eaten. He, up to the super, you know, it says an incredibly high mountain so he can see the kingdoms of the earth and all their glory, and he still hasn't eaten. He's weak. He say, yeah, give me the kingdoms of the world so I can get myself some food. But he waits. It's hard to wait. You get hungry when you wait. You ever try and fast? I fasted once. It wasn't too long ago. I fasted all day. It wasn't easy. (laughs) I went like 36 hours without food. Like others who have told me the benefits of it, mentally, it was incredibly beneficial. I said, wow, I'm going to do this on a regular basis. Not yet. Not yet. I'll let you know. (laughs) Oh, I like food too much. So we'll see that the Exodus was hungry. What's our hunger? We live in America in an abundance of food. We went shopping yesterday, and some of the shelves in Safeway were empty. And we were incredulous. You know. But then I looked around and I'm like, man, there is enough food to feed an army in this building right here. And I'm mad because they don't have egg noodles or whatever I was looking for. What is our hunger? We have to deny our flesh, deny ourselves. Jesus said, pick up your cross and deny yourselves daily. Your flesh is not going to lie down easy. I don't have to tell you that, do I? You're all old enough. The things that you want that are not godly and you deny yourself in Thoughts. It's not just like uh, things like that uh, people are addicted to, meaning physically like alcohol or sex or or drugs. uh, Or, and this is a new thing coming up, cell phones. It's not a new thing, but much research is being done on the addiction to cell phones right now. And I've been reading about it. I'm very intrigued by it. Just walking around looking at our phones. Like half the time of our free time, you know, it becomes, it's an addiction. Anyway, um, you know, there's those things, but there's also the thoughts that come up and you deny yourself those thoughts. That's a hunger. So go to Deuteronomy eight 3, Let's see. We're going to look at in Deuteronomy where Jesus quotes from, and we're going to look at just these three things today. They're tested by hunger. What's the solution to the hunger you have for the thing that you know you shouldn't have? What is the solution? God's Word. Now, yeah, you can quote exactly like Jesus did. You can quote Deuteronomy chapter 8. But you also have an entire Bible in front of you in which you can find passages that are absolutely particular to what you're facing and I'm going to encourage you to find those passages, if you need my help, I will help you, and to do your best to memorize them. Now, it doesn't have to be word for word, and I don't even care what translate you shouldn't either, or what translation it is, but know the passage enough that you keep the entire meaning of it, because that's what the passages are, really. The passages in the Scripture, we don't worship word by word. Right? We worship the thoughts, ideas, concepts, and principles that come from it. <clears throat> All right, so the Exodus tested by hunger. Look at Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you. Now this is Moses speaking to them. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, when Jesus quotes this, it's every word. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, notice that if we're designed to live by the word of God, then the true origin of our life is words. Like the source of what we are in terms of living an abundant life are words. And what are words? They, not individual words. There's a whole group of, of uh, Jews and rabbis who had worshipped God's word, not just word by word, but letter by letter. They gave meaning to every letter. And boy, did they come up with some crazy stuff. They allegorized the whole thing and said this little letter means this and this little vowel means that. And they blew blew it all up into something that was unrecognizable. Don't lose the forest for for the trees. The, the, The concepts that come from the Word of God, the passages in the Word of God. For instance, this passage. If I don't live by bread alone, but live by what every word that God comes out of God's mouth, then what do I live by? Don't I need food to live? Yes, you do. But if you just exist and you have enough food to exist, are you really living? What do words make? They make ideas. They make concepts. They make truths. They make doctrines. And it's those things that if I know them and put my faith in them, then I really live. Therefore, God says... The materials, the food you have, where you live, how much you have, your socioeconomic status, none of that matters. The richest person on planet Earth could have no life whatsoever, even though he has everything at his fingertips. But man was designed to live by the word of God. And notice, it's, well, it's here, every word, every word. Not just some of it. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What proceeds out of the mouth of God? Again, not the commentaries. This. The commentaries help us. I'm not putting them down. I need them. The theological books. Wonderful. But they're designed to help me understand this. And it's this that's going to give me the strength to take that sword out of the stone and to wield it against the greatest enemy of God, the strongest, greatest, the prince of the power of the air. And to be stronger than him by the word of God. So when I suffer, you know, I suffer because God says deny yourself so I become hungry. Uh, <clears throat> what do I have to deny myself of? Lust of the flesh, that's an obvious one. Okay, I, I'm, I'm a lustful guy. I, I, you know, I'm not up here admitting anything you don't know. <laughs> we all are. But, you know, I deny myself. I, I say no. I say no to things. And um, does my flesh go, yeah, all right, Joe, since you don't want to do that, well, let's not do that. You know? No. He fights me. I say, shut up and sit down. Get back in your hole, stupid, because you are. That's an easy one. How about your mind? There's so, so some things that are fully acceptable in the world that people love. And that, say like approbation. The desire to be loved and admired and recognized by others. God says get rid of that. How's my, does my mind say, oh, well, God said so, so let's get rid of it. No, you struggle with it, don't you? How good you look. How's your hair? Well, we're not saying don't take care of yourself. That's dumb too. But to be, we can become completely and fully occupied with ourselves and how we look and what our image is. And we're so occupied with ourselves <coughs> that we've put ourselves on the throne of our soul. And sadly, we know who we really are. So while we're projecting this image that we know that we're not, it just adds stress and anxiety because you're fearful that you're going to get found out. And by the way, you will. Distraction. Too much media. Too intensely into something. You could be too intensely into sports or work or hobbies. You could be too intense into golf. You could be too intense into your man cave. That's the one I thought of. Don't take away my man cave. Is your man cave essential to your relationship with God? You might say yes. say, that's where I pray. (laughs) You can pray anywhere. I'm not against man caves. I wish I had one. But, um, you know, it's, is there something in your life that God, that you know, you're holding on to so tightly and it has nothing to do with your spiritual life? Satan can and will use it to distract you from what it is you're to do in worship of God. How are you going to refute this? Word of God. Word of God that you know. Excuse me. There'd be laziness. Too much rest. How about this one? Too much isolation. Do you know the Christian life is a social thing? I mean, how are you to do good to others and serve others if you're completely isolated from others? How is your light to shine into the world when you're completely isolated from the world? Now, there's many out there who have have proclaimed that Christianity is an isolated thing. It is not. Some parts of it are. But it's not going to work. It doesn't function. Christianity dies out without a community. It's very true. So too much downtime. Get up. How does your body like that? I need to go, somebody's interrupting my free time and they want me to serve them. Or really, God wants me to serve them. How dare he? And how do I do do that? How do I get myself up and get going? Fuck it up. Pull yourself up. No, it's not going to work. But if you have a passage in your mind, the word of God that you quote in your heart. And you say, well, that is from my Lord. I guarantee you, you're going to get up. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 8, one. Why does he make us hungry? So did you, uh, well, we'll go back to it in a second. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, you, <clears throat> that you might that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments Or not. Verse 3 said, He let you be hungry. Verse 2 says, Why? To test you. Did God not know what was in their heart? No, God knew what was in their heart. God is showing us what's in our heart. And do you know that you do not grow in the spiritual life without pain, without loss? These are the things, when you go through pain and loss, you focus, you pray, your prayer is focused, your work in the Word of God is focused. It's, we don't have pain all the time. But truly spiritual growth is through pain. And the first thing that is done to Jesus here is to lead him in the wilderness and he's hungry, he's, pain, he's in pain. And Jesus, and He's completely human, so Jesus is also finding out the power of the Word of God. Like Jesus had to, he, as a man, He had to learn and grow like like anybody, and so He Himself is discovering the power of God's Word against God's great adversary, the devil. So again, what is our hunger? Obedience in the spiritual life starves self and flesh. And this leaves us hungry. And it's true for all of us. So what is, what's the temptation? Ah, come on. If you are the Son of God, by the way, aren't we? Children of God? Adopted? Aren't we forgiven of all things? Mm-hmm. Satan's used that one very successfully on me. Come on, Joe, you know you're forgiven. Just rebound, dude. I'm like, you know what? That sounds wonderful. I think that just might work. It doesn't work. I can't get those years back. But okay, whatever. (laughs) A lot of wasted time. Too much. But what are you going to do? You can't go back in time. Uh, Obedience starves the flesh. We know that the flesh wars with the spirit, Galatians 5. We know that we're told to lay the old man aside, Colossians 3. Does he or she protest? Come on, son of God, daughter of God, prince and princess of heaven, which you are. Don't take it so serious. Doesn't God say you're forgiven of all things? It worked on the Corinthians really well, too. Your flesh will long for a morsel of sin to satiate itself. Whatever the sin is. All right. It could be the more respectable kind. So, what is the means of overcoming a temptation? The word of God precisely known. And I do mean precisely. Jesus quotes it word for word. Word for word. Now, I know... you. Hear me out. I am not saying memorize the whole Scripture or you're doomed. I'm not. I'm saying know your Scripture. Don't just have a you know, casual, superficial, I kind of get this principle. What does the Word of God actually say about it? God spent 1,500 years writing this for us. And, what, and there's, there's denominations now who are throwing out the whole Old Testament. They don't even turn to it. There's some denominations who don't believe the Gospels are really historical, so they don't read those. By the way, the Gospels and the book of Acts take up half of the New Testament, half of it. So if you don't know the Gospels and the book of Acts, now you've just thrown that out throughout the Old Testament. Now you've got a little sliver, and you don't even know what that, what that even says. Well, you know what I know? Jesus loves me. Well, great, but when Satan tempts you, Jesus loves me, isn't going to help you. Jesus doesn't summarize Deuteronomy. He quotes it. Now, yes, he's a son of God. He's wicked smart, as we used to say back in New England, as they still say. But we need to know. So, let me give you a for instance. Let's say you have a thing. Everybody has their thing. (laughs) And that thing, which I kind of mentioned already, is that inconsequential thing that if someone threatened it, I don't know what it may be. It may be your season tickets to some sports team. It may be uh, uh, alcohol, drugs, or sex. It may be your cell phone. What if you lost your cell phone? Or couldn't use it, I'd say. If you lost it, you'd be buying one in a minute. As as did I when I lost mine or mine broke. But um, And let's say that it's threatened to be taken away. That thing, inconsequential really to your spiritual life, and if it's threatened or taken, you would vigorously defend to grab hold of it and fight tooth and nail to keep it. And then, so what would you do? Say you recognize this, and you say, Is God saying give it up? He, he, maybe He's not. But He's saying lose it as an idol. Get rid of it as an idol. You're worshiping it and you know it. How would I find this out? I'd have to want to know. See, Jesus says, "You man shall live. Future, it's a future tense he uses. Man shall live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That means I have to know the word of God, and then I can live. It's not reverse. I don't live and then discover what the word of God is. I discover the word of God before I even know how to live, but the word of God enables me to live. It's so important. So if God says, you know, I'm not taking this thing away from you, but I know and you know you worship it, how would you find this out? Through the word of God and prayer. By prayer, you would say, God, reveal this to me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Every time I say that every morning, and ev- there's another prayer Make that uh, oh, I forget where it's from, but uh, it, it became famous uh, in one of the catechisms way back in the day but uh it's um like Nicaea one of those things, but it it's a, it's a prayer it's basically a prayer that says, God, I want to do your will today, give me, show me, empower me to do your will and your will alone today, and when I say your kingdom, not that you have to do it my way, I do the lord's prayer every day. And when I say that your will be done, I think I think of the earth and I long for this earth to be under the will of God. So basically I'm saying, I can't wait for you to come back. And that gives me peace. He's not he's not up in heaven saying, Hey, Joe asked us to come back. I guess I gotta go. You know, it's not that. It just it it puts in for me, the experience for me is it puts in my heart This is not permanent here, the way things are going. This is going to be a crazy year with this stupid election. I know it's not stupid. It's important, but it's going to be crazy here. This is not permanent. Your will be done. So when you seek his will, also ask him, I challenge you to do this. Where are my idols, Lord? You know, there are idols in the ancient world. If you remember the story when uh, Jacob left, he took off from his uncle Laban, and Rachel, his wife, took her brothers, right? Her bro- his bro- her brother. He-, he took she took the family idols and she hid them under the saddle of her of her camel. Which means the idols not this big. <laughs> they're little. They're little figurines that they would have someone make for them, and then they'd bow down and worship them. They're tiny little things. You could hide them in your pocket. We can hide them. So when we ask God, you know, what are our idols? I, you know, practice what you preach. So I did this to me this morning. And I'm like, yeah, there's there's that and that. A couple of them that are potential that that need to be Overcome. And I thought of this in Joshua. And I've got more here in this lesson, but this will do it uh, for us today. The Word of God. This is your lesson for today. Uh, Israel also was told that they'd have a kingdom. We'll see that this week. And it all gets to the same thing because when I'm threatened with uh, or tempted with anything in this world, I say, whoa, 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 wait, this isn't my kingdom, is it? I'm a citizen of heaven. Um, and yet, so let's look at Joshua. Joshua 24:19. This is at the end of the book. Joshua is about to die, and he's given his final message, a farewell message to Israel. And he says to them, Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst, incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this one wouldn't be hard to memorize. At least, you know, you don't have to have it word for word. But what if, here's the example I wanted to show you. What if you summarize this wrongly? In other words, put away, what did he say to put away? Something wrong. But if I didn't really know that it said foreign gods, those are two super important words. You could call them alien, but you need the same meaning. If you remembered it as alien uh, false demons, you know, whatever. But they're foreign. But first, the put away part. Right? This is repeated. Put away the old nature. Put away the old man. Lay it aside. And they're foreign. Put away what foreign? What does foreign mean? It means that they're not mine, of my country, of my home, and my country's heaven, and they're God's. Right? They portray themselves as God. We'll see as we study this that Satan is going to command Jesus. Twice, he gives him a command. Can you imagine? I'm going to command you, son of God. Throw yourself down. Why And it dawned on me as I was studying this that Satan... Wants to portray a confidence. When you're commanded, there's there's some wonderful studies that have been done by this. If you wear a white coat and, like, have a name tag, and you start commanding people to do stuff, they're likely to do it. Just because you look like an authority figure And that, yeah, I should do what that guy in the white coat says. You know, put a stethoscope around your neck and walk around a hospital giving orders. People will be like, oh, yeah, sure, doctor. Not even think about how stupid it is, whatever it is you're asking them. Um, Satan commands, he commands. And we have to have the authority to say no. So if the authority figure says, do this, I say, you know what? You look like you're smart, you look like you're powerful, you look like you're someone that maybe I should follow. But I have someone higher in authority than you that tells me, no, don't do that. And that's the Word of God. That's what the Son of God uses God's Word. So, the other part to this foreign gods, and notice this word in your midst. Where are they? They're on you, they're among you, they're around you, they're not on the other side of the country. This isn't someone else's foreign God. This is yours. And what does that mean? If I remember say you could remember it as that's in your house, on your person. But if you summarize this and lost that midst thing, then you'd miss it. And that's that's what I'm trying to get across. If I chose this passage to be my this sounds silly, my like my scripture buddy? For the next week or two. <laughs> and I could just pull it out every once in a while and reread it. Try to memorize it as best I could. And then forever, I would have this in my heart ready to go. That when the temptation came, I'd be like, uh-uh. You are a foreign God that is in my midst. And then he says, What? Incline. I love the word incline. Incline your heart. To the Lord, put away that thing, and incline. Right, it's up. Incline your heart to the Lord. That's exactly what Satan wants to get us away from. Put a basket over the lamp. All believers are tempted. All that I had for you, and I can't believe that. I got to get my timing better. It'll take me another ten years. All believers are tempted from the source of the devil to abandon the strict adherence to God's word. All believers are tempted to this. And guess what? Every you have every believer has the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Spirit's going to lead you into all truth. It's the same word that's used when He leads them into the wilderness. Hoop? Uh, I think it's, it's hoopago. No, it's not hoopago. Something else. But uh, the the Spirit is going to lead him and lead you. Every believer is led to the Word of God. Every believer. But not every believer gets there. It's obvious that he can't just drag us by the nape of the neck and take us there. But every believer is led to the Word of God. Satan is tempting you, every one of us, to leave the source of it. And it will never end. He will always be at it. If you're alert, you'll see them and you have the word of God. And then if something else comes up and you say, wow, I wasn't ready for that. Find a passage. Find a, a section of passage. I'll help you if you need it. I won't if you, And if you disclose to me whatever the problem is, I promise you, I won't tell a soul. But we can find it. And then you'll have that passage at the ready so that when the temptation comes, just like our Lord. I'm astounded by the fact that the creator of the heavens and the earth walks through the wilderness, allows Satan to tempt him, and uses the word of God to refute him. All three passages from Deuteronomy he uses. Amazing. Um, If we live our lives... By the word of God, we will, God promises, and it won't matter your how much money you have, your status, your social status, whatever, it won't matter. If you live your life by the word of God, the promise is that you will live powerful as a king or queen, and that you will walk the fields of the high ground that is heaven on earth. It's, Jesus called it an abundant life. And you will be poor, you'll know you will be because you don't really own anything in this world, but you'll be more powerful than the devil himself. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you have given us this scripture and that we have it. We have it on our phones. We have it in our Bibles. We have it on our computers if we want it. And... Father, therefore, inspire each of us, lead us, Father, into finding those passages that we need today, that we can apply to the things that we're struggling with, so that we may find power to overcome the temptation to look away from you and to do the do things in another way. There is no other way. Thank you for our Lord and Savior who has given us the way, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so I wanted to, and I didn't do it at the front, uh, Zoom meeting tomorrow at 3, I'm saying that as much for myself as for anyone who wants to attend, because last week I forgot again, so yeah, I got a text message at 3.15 saying, is there Zoom meeting today? And uh, I hadn't forgotten in so long that I took the alarm off my phone I put the alarm back on. Uh, The prayer group. There's a prayer group that is shared on text um, and is a marvelous group. uh, If you want to be a part of it or you have prayers you want people praying for, um, let me know. Uh, You can either email me or contact me somehow or just let me know. Or you can become a part of the group if you want. Because yesterday, our beloved Kathy Towers had a issue that was a bit scary. And uh, the issue was put out on the prayer list. Everybody prayed. And I'm not saying it was the prayer group's uh, benefit, but everything turned out. At least Kathy is not in, in danger of anything. She had a bit of a health scare yesterday. But she's, uh, she's fine, and she has a bit of recovery to do. So if you could keep her in prayer, I know I don't want to give details, as you know. But keep Kathy Towers and her family in prayer. And I just wanted to let them know and everybody know this. Everybody went to the throne of grace for Kathy yesterday, like within minutes of the issue, and it was all because we have phones to use. It's great. Lastly, financials are in for 2023. If you want to see or need a copy, or want a copy of that, let me know. And uh, on the tail end of that, I wanted to thank Deb for all your work that you do for this church, because I don't thank you enough. Uh, Deb uh, Bates takes care of all of our financials, does the taxes for me and Chris, and, and we never asked her to do it. She just volunteered to do it. There we are. So thank you, Deb, for all you do. I so appreciate it. Let's pray for our offering. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. As your believer priests, we give to you in honor of you in worship of you. Uh, We thank you, Father, that we can continue to spread your word. Uh, throughout the world to anyone who wants to listen. Thank you for the technology to do that and for all those who give and pray for us and who are members of this assembly. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our uh, gathering, for the ability to be together as your royal family, to share in your word, to share with one another uh, the good things that you are and have blessed us with. We ask, Father, that what we've learned today, to be precise about your word, to apply your word in a precise manner, that each of us would grow in our desire to learn what is in your scripture. And for anyone listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior, uh, this is a time for you to consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're listening to me and you have not made a decision about who Jesus Christ is, I can tell you with 100% confidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world, and he has died on the cross for your sins, and for mine, and for the whole world. Through his work, you can be saved. not by works that you have done, but by faith. He offers you a gift. You have to receive it. So to receive His gift, you have to believe in Him. Let the Lord God speak to your heart and tell you and show you that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of the world. Believe upon Him and you will be saved. You will have eternal life and be with Him forever in heaven. It is a gift. We thank you again, Father, for all things and bless us all today. In Christ's name, amen.